Let us turn to the Word of God. Uh, Today's scripture is in Ephesians 5, um, verses 1 and 2. And uh, you'll find that in your bulletin, or if you have a Bible, you can turn to that. So follow along with me, if you will. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in Christ, or walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up, up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let us pray. Father, you're a great God above all gods and a great king above all kings. But truly you are the best father that we could ever have. You've brought us near to yourself by way of adoption. And we thank you that we get to learn from you as your children. Father, I pray that as we consume from your word that we would be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit and that we would walk in your ways as a result. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, before I tell this story, I'll let you all know I have permission to tell this story. Uh, I asked before. Um, I did it. In fact, I was actually told to tell this story. So, um, my wife, Tori, who's waving to her, she's fantastic. Um, but she was in daycare. She's young. Her dad was taking her to daycare. And they were on their way there, and I think her dad was running a little late. He needed to get her there. He's running out of time. He needed to get to work. There was some construction in the road. And so he's sitting there, and the guy's got the little sign that says, slow, stop, slow, stop, slow, stop. And he finally turns it to slow, and he's like, come on, go, get around me. And her dad, and I will say we love her dad. He's great, very godly man. He's been very encouraged by his speaking of truth into our lives. And he looks at this man and he says something that he should not have said to him. Uh, and told him that if he would move, he move his donkey. He would, he'd be able to get by and go on. And so that, he gets around and he drops Tori off at daycare and he goes to work. Well, a little bit later he gets a call. And he says, uh, Mr. Roberts, you need to come and we need to talk to you in our office at the daycare. So he goes and he picks Tori up and they sit down and start talking and Tori, something happened with another kid and proceeded to tell this kid that he is also a donkey. (laughs) (laughs) Because she did what kids do best. They learn from their parents and they act just as their parents do. (laughs) sometimes yes (laughs) but that brings us to today's text we all imitate something we will imitate our parents our friends that someone special that we look up to or something we will imitate what we love and what we will believe what we believe will love us because we imitate that person place or thing the problem with that though is that our Desire to imitate is not rightly oriented. We do not imitate God because we do not believe that we are the beloved children of God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 wants us to orient ourselves rightly. To orient ourselves and our actions. Because we want to go to God for His love and truth. The final point of this text is simple. Imitate God by living in the love that Christ has displayed for us. 
And so there's three things I want you to take away from this to help you live that out in your life. We imitate God because He has made it possible. We imitate God because He has made us His children. And we imitate God by living in love. Very plain and simple. So it may seem. But imitating God, I feel, is a tall task. I don't know who in here has ever felt like they woke up one day and from sunrise to sunset they imitated God perfectly. Well, not me. I know that for sure. And it is a very strong command and it sounds incredibly hard to follow. But God wants us to know that it is possible now. And He has made it possible because Christ has loved us and gave Himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now this language is kind of interesting. Like, what do we mean a fragrant offering? Fragrant. When He sacrificed Himself and smelled good? It's kind of interesting. Like a little thing that hangs on the rearview mirror of your car, a little Christmas tree. It smells good. No, but if you've been following along in your CBR journal, um, the journal that Dan talked about earlier that we read as individuals in his life of our church, we've been reading through Leviticus here lately. And sometimes I'll say it can be incredibly boring to read, but it helps us understand exactly what Paul is talking about here. Now, a quick summary of the book of Leviticus is, be holy because God is holy. But therein lies our problem. We cannot imitate God because we ourselves are not holy. So the biggest reason for these sacrifices are happening is simply because God is holy and we are not. And God being just will not be in the presence of sinful creatures. I'm sinful and God is not, so we can't be together. If we're together, then it is to my detriment. And that creates an important question. How can we imitate someone that we can't be in the presence of? If I don't know, if I don't know you, then I can't be like you. you know, as Dan talked about, the more time I spend with him, the more he's encouraging me and equipping me to preach in a sound way. If I don't ever, and then if I'm never in the presence of Dan, then I can't learn these things. And so, if I can't be in the presence of God, how can I learn? to imitate God. And therein lies the purpose of the sacrificial system. God desired to be amongst His people. So He made a way to be in their presence and they in His. And this happened from them practicing a lot of different sacrifices. And they practiced a lot of sacrifices. There's sacrifices for peace, sacrifices for running over someone's donkey on an accident. Like, it's crazy. I mean, and they had to do them just about as often as they sinned. You sit on Monday, you've got to give an offering on Monday. You sit on Tuesday, you've got to give one on Tuesday. It's pretty complex. And so, just a little bit of how they did this thing. They had to kill a calf, and they had to throw the blood on the altar, and they had to put some of the blood on their ear, and then they had to wash some of the organs, and they had to take some of the organs and throw them out of the camp, and then they had to burn some of the organs, and then burn the rest of the animal on the altar. And this was to make atonement for their sin. If the offerings were done properly, and the motivation of the offerer was towards God, then the offering had a pleasing aroma to God. 
If his justice was satisfied, then the offering had a pleasing aroma. That is why Scripture says, He became sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's why John the Baptist, when first seeing Jesus while baptizing disciples at the Jordan River, says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is that sacrifice who, going to the cross, died and in His sacrifice satisfied the justice of God. It had a pleasing aroma to God because He was obedient. His motivation was towards God. And it justified our sinfulness. That is what Jesus has done. And it had an aroma so good that it didn't just mask the foul odor of our sin, but it eliminated it. You ever tried to clean a room with some Febreze that just had a really bad smell and the smell didn't go away, it just masked the odor for a couple hours? Jesus' sacrifice did away with that odor because He did away with sin. We still struggle with sin, but in Christ it has been dealt with. In The Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens writes of two men, Sidney Carton and Charles Darnay. Now, the crazy thing is, is they're two characters that both look really similar. They look so much alike that Charles Darnay is in court and someone tries to accuse him of seeing him taking some letters to the English government spying for the French. Maybe that's the other way around. Um, either way. Sidney Carton stands up and they're like, whoa, everybody starts freaking out because he looks just like Charles Darnay. And Charles Darnay is acquitted of his crimes. Now the story goes on, and both of them end up falling in love with the same woman. However, Sidney Carton is kind of a mess, and she doesn't really fall for him. But she loves Charles Darnay. So her and Charles Darnay get married, they have a family. But it turns out that Charles Darnay is not necessarily who he says he is. He's actually the family of a French noble. Now, if you know anything about Tale of Two Cities, it is also during the time of the French Revolution. So the citizens are rising up and taking hold of power from the people who hold power so closely. And as time goes on, they find out that Charles Darnay is one of the people that they want to get rid of. So he's arrested on charges that are made up and thrown in jail with the intent of having him executed. Sidney Carton finds out about this. And he goes to Charles in the prison, gives him something to knock him out, and changes clothes with him. Because he looks so much alike him, who would ever know the difference? And so, Charles is taken out of the jail cell, and he's taken to his family, and together he and his family escape from the massacre that's happening in France. And Sidney Carton goes to the guillotine, wearing the clothes of Charles Darnay, and dies on his behalf. That is the type of sacrifice that has been made for us. Jesus gives us his clothes. He takes ours. He suffers so that the pleasing aroma would be to God. His justice would be satisfied. And we could be in his presence. 
So much so in His presence that we're closer to God now than they were in the Old Testament. His Holy Spirit dwells within us. That's how close we are to God. And so, what Christ did for us gave us this new self that has been talked about for several weeks now as we study through the book of Ephesians. We have received this new self on the account of Jesus. So let us walk in that. Let us put on that new self and rest in the work that Christ has done for us. Let us rest in the work that Christ has done for us. But God saving us from sin and bringing us into His presence isn't the stopping point. God took it further than that, which is where we imitate God because He has made us His children. We threw up a big family tree of God. Our faces would be on it. We'd be up there. That is how close and how present God is to us and we are to Him. It is the new familial relationship to God that tells us just how present we are to Him and He to us. Who's closer than parent and child? Who's closer than family? You see, according to all modern child development science, children learn most of their basic functions by imitating their parents. Sometimes that can be negative things, as we talked about earlier. Um, I have my own story that's very similar to that, and I tell it to you at another time. But we learn everything from our parents. We learn to walk by imitating our parents. We learn to speak by imitating the sounds that come out of our parents' mouth. We learn our beliefs from our parents by imitating what they value. That's one of my favorite things in setting up everything on Sunday morning is when Benjamin will come up here and help me start stringing out lights. And then William will start following suit. William's like this tall, but they're imitating what they've seen. And they want to participate. That's why in our bulletins we talk about kids being a part of the service so that they can watch how we worship and they imitate us as we worship God. Because parents pass everything on down to their children. Now, I don't know what your parental relationships were like. I know that some parental relationships can be kind of complicated. And so, I want to make note that God is the best father that you will ever have. Some children today suffer from their parents using their love to coerce their children to the right behavior and to the right goals and actions. You know, I've been to many softball games where I've seen parents screaming and yelling at their kids because they can't just hit the ball right. And it makes their kids angry because it's like, why can't you just love me because I'm your child? And so we have kids nowadays, that, and even, even back in the days, that live their lives with their parents' love on a stick in front of them, chasing after it, hoping that, that when they grab it, their parents will finally love them. Now, I say all of that to say that this is not so with God. God does not dangle His love in front of us, hoping that if we do the right things, we can grab a hold of it and be like Him. No. We are His deeply loved children. 
That is the work that He accomplished for us in that sacrifice that we talked about earlier. We've been justified and we've been adopted into the family of God. That's why we're on His family tree. And so we are so near to God that as His children, we can imitate Him. And we get to imitate a Father who is perfect, who is holy, who is faithful, who will never walk out on us. That desires us to imitate Him out of our own, for our own good, for His glory. He treasures us. One of the most startling revelations for me from the Word of God was whatever I read from Isaiah that Christ in His death saw us and was satisfied. Oftentimes, I've felt like God being my Father, like, oh man, I'm a chore to God. Like, God must get so tired of me. We are treasured by God because we are His children. He decided that we would become His children. And so God's greatest desire in this new reality is that we would look like we would look to Him, that we would trust Him just as children trust their parents to meet all their needs. And as we grow in our trust in Him, that we would see His ways, know His heart, and begin to imitate Him just as a child imitates their parents. So for those of you who know that I worked for the call for a season of my life, and one of my favorite stories to tell was of a young man who, I won't use his name because there's parts of his story that are his story, um, but he was in foster care, he was a teenager, and he was living in a group home, and at one point he got in a fight with another kid in that group home and his jaw was broken. He got hit in the face so hard it broke his jaw. He woke up in the ER and was talking to his caseworker and begged his caseworker to not send him back there. He was terrified. He had great fear. He was hurt. His parents had not taken care of him to the point that he was removed from his home. It's a tragedy. But a family heard about his needs and reached out in order to become his foster parents. And inevitably, they had the opportunity to adopt him. And they did. Now, because of his shake-up with his family, he didn't really have a good understanding of what that was supposed to look like. What love was supposed to look like. And so, he talks about in a video that through my father, he calls his adopted dad, dad. Through my father's love and patience and kindness towards me, I began to wrestle with my own frustrations and anger, I began to imitate my dad in patience and love and kindness. And and he says he began to understand that his Father in Heaven had that same kind of love for him. Those of you who are parents, like you don't make up what you do as a parent. You receive it all by imitating God. We didn't think it would be a cool idea one day to become dads and moms. God orchestrated that. And so, eventually this young man says that through all of that, through this imitation of God from his dad, he believed on Christ. Because that was the father that was represented to him through his father imitating him. So my question is to you is, do you believe that God has made you a treasured child? One that is magnificently loved? One that 
you can't do enough to make him walk out on you? And that he's not going to coerce you with your heart and his in front of you like a carrot on a stick? If you'll just go and get it, he'll love you. Do you understand that? That he's a father you can trust in? The crazy thing is, is that if I'm a child of God on account of Jesus, then you're a child of God on account of Jesus, then we're a church of literally brothers and sisters. We're all on that big family tree that I was talking about. So we believe this individually and together as Central Presbyterian Church and in our relationships with believers in other congregations. Our identity as as God's children is not bound up in the time that we worship together. It's not bound up in what we do. It is who we are together and individually. You are a child of God in your home, your workplace, your gym. Everywhere you go, you are a child of God. And you have the liberty, the joy to imitate Him. And we do all of this because God has proven Himself to be a faithful and loving Father. What greater love than this that someone would give up his life for his friends? Those are the words of Jesus. What greater love has been shown to us? And we do this, we remind ourselves of these things through the means of grace. Knowing that you are a child of God, that He is yours, that you are His and He is yours. And, this, and we do this as a family. We come together, we belong to one another, we gather together to worship Jesus as His brothers and sisters. When you read the Word of God, you are faced with the revelation of who God is and who we are. We're reminded day in and day out that He is a faithful, loving Father who desires... He doesn't just provide for us. He desires to provide for us. He says, let me provide for you because I want to. That's why we do CDR. That's why we do this thing. It's so that we can come face to face with the Word of God every day and see that God is a Father and we are His children who are deeply loved. We receive communion every Sunday so that we can know that our Father nourishes us And that the Lord has sacrificed Himself for us. That pleasing aroma that covers our very sins. And we pray so we can orient ourselves to God, His will and His ways. Laying down our petitions at His feet, knowing that He is a good Father who will not give us a snake when we ask for an egg. Knowing that He's going to give to His beloved children. Through these things, the Spirit works in our lives, showing us how loved we are by our Father, that we are His children, who will be molded to imitate Him. Christ's sacrifice and our new relationship to God as children are now our motivation for imitating God. So how then do we imitate Him? We imitate God by loving God and loving others. We need to do nothing but look back at what we just discussed. Christ, by His sacrificial love for us, has made us the prized children of God, the Beloved. And so first we depend on the Father as children depend on their parents for nourishment, instruction, and safety. We submit to Him as He has sacrificed His Son to possess us as His family. We trust in His parental authority, knowing that He is good, loving, and Holy Father.
who will meet every need that we have. And like I said, we do that by looking at the Word. And when we look at the Word, we come face to face with Jesus. And when faced with Jesus, being the very Word of God in the flesh, the image of the invisible God, the one who we truly imitate, we are conformed to His image. Love that abandons riches and takes on death itself so that we can become His. What greater love than this, as I said, that one would give up his life for his friends. Those are the very words of Christ and is the very thing that He has done on our behalf. God is not a Father who says, do as I say and not as I do. He has shown that to imitate Him is to live lives of self-sacrificing love and has brought us near to Himself as children that we may imitate Him. A very important person in church history is named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, He was a Lutheran pastor before and during the time of the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. And he was trained there. He had the opportunity to leave, and so he left. Much to the exhortation of a Swiss-German theologian named Karl Barth to stay. Stay in Germany. Suffer with your people. And he said no. And so he goes. He's here at Union Theological Seminary here in America. And in his time there, he's learning and learning. And he inevitably says that if you know anything about Union today, he says that there is no theology here. Um, speaks to the situation they're currently in. Um, but he receives the opportunity to go back to Germany. And he goes in order to train underground church pastors so that they can take the pulpit and lead churches in secret that are not a part of Germany's national church. And so... In doing this, he's there, and eventually he gets blacklisted by the Gestapo. They say, we see him, we know what he's doing, we need him dead. And so he flees back to Union for an opportunity to work there. But while he's there, he remembers what his friend Karl Barth had said to him. And he writes a letter to his friend, Reinhold Niebuhr, at Union and says, I've got to go back. I must suffer and sacrifice myself alongside the people of Germany, my people. Because how else can I work in their renewal and rebuilding after this if I don't suffer alongside them? And so he gets on the very last boat back across the Atlantic. He goes, he begins to work with various groups of people, teaching and ministering to people, and inevitably he is caught taken to a concentration camp and suffers and dies at the gallows. He went back to live a life of self-sacrifice for the sake of others. What greater love than than this? And so, we imitate God. The point of God's Word in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is clear. Imitate God. Be like God. Return to the original intent of God's creating us. That we would bear His image in the world. 
imitate God. We do so in the life of our church and in the world. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is about being the church together. And so we imitate with each other and for one another. We are the very family of God. So we go out individually and together into this world who have yet to believe on Christ and who have yet to become His children so that they may see who God is through our imitation of Him. And we do all of this because of we just, as we just discussed. Christ has given Himself up for us and He has died on our behalf. And we have been made children so that we may imitate Him. So how do we do this? Well, we imitate God by loving our brothers and sisters with the same sacrificial love that has been done for us by Christ. We literally look at Jesus and say, what has Jesus done? How has He done it? And say, I'm going to do that too. So in my life, for example, if John Mark has a need, I'm going to be eager to meet that need. I'm going to sacrifice time, talent, and treasure for John Mark's sake. John Mark needs help. I'm going to sacrifice my time on free time on a Saturday. I could be like, ah, John Mark, I'm off that day. Sorry, dude. You're out of luck. No. That's not the kind of love that we're being called to. John Mark needs help. I don't buy that pair of shoes. I go without Starbucks for two weeks. Or I scale something back in my life so that I can readily meet the needs of John Mark. But take it, let's take it a step further. That we as the family of God, the 50 or so of us that are in here, imagine what it would look like to take that command to imitate incredibly, literally. That we would be a people that are willing to give up everything for one another. That I would be willing to suffer to the greatest extremes. Sacrifice for one of you. That is the call that we have received in this text. That is the action, that is the imitation that in following after Christ, we ourselves will create a pleasing aroma to our Father. What would Little Rock be able to do with that? 50 people who are willing to go to the cross for one another. I don't think Little Rock would have any idea what to do. But they would surely know that we are the people of God. They would know that we are a family unto one another, ready to give it all. Because of the great love that has been afforded to us in Christ. When we give up our time, treasures, and talent individually and as a congregation self-sacrificing for the sake of those around us, we truly become a place that's loving Little Rock with the gospel for the glory of God. So let us imitate God with the same love that has been shown to us by Christ. One that shows full abandon for riches, for our own self-glory, that we would come and serve and suffer and die for each other, for this community that we live in. There's a man named Joseph. He was an African-American, not an African-American, I'm sorry, he's an African Maasai warrior. He lived in Africa and 
Eventually, while walking along the road, he heard from someone who had been to a Billy Graham crusade who shared the gospel with Joseph. Joseph became so excited, he went back to his village and began to share the gospel, the suffering that has been done on his account, so that those in his village may know the same Lord that he has come to know. They didn't take too well to this. They began beating him. Beating him with barbed wire. Dragged him out of the village and left him to die. He eventually awoke, got back up, and went into the village to share again with those, his own village, his very people, to share with them the same love that he had received. And they beat him again and drug him to a watering hole and left him for dead. But he woke up again. (laughs) And he got back up and he went back into that village and they started beating him again. Before he could really get words out of his mouth, he says, Jesus, and they start hitting him. But inevitably, they ran out of strength and began to weep. They wept at the fact that someone would love them enough to suffer these kind of intense beatings. Not once, not twice, but three times. He awoke in his own bed, his wounds bandaged, and those of the village eager to hear about this Jesus that Joseph had heard about. Again, imagine this type of self-abandoning love here at Central Press. Imagine in a little rock. As beloved children of God, the most treasured possession of our Lord, let us imitate God with the same self-sacrificing love as Jesus and see change come into our own lives and into this community. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that we are Your children. That You have sacrificed Yourself on our account. That You have loved us with love beyond all measure. It's incomprehensible. But You came from heaven. You left riches, became a servant, and died. That we may have life and be those very children. Knowing these things, let us learn from You. Let us learn from Your Word. Let us imitate Christ in this world. That we would have a self-abandoning love for one another. And that we would have self-abandoning love for the city of Little Rock. Father, we thank You. We thank You that our imitation of You does not create Your love for us, but that You love us so that we may imitate You. We thank You, Lord. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.